Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life, episode 132. Once again, here with Chelsea Hopkins and Ani Umana, my co-hosts, and we're keeping it going. We're keeping it fresh, and we're going to do this a little bit on the wing of our pants, kind of like something we saw recently uh, on air, and we wanted to talk about that. We're just going to go through things, and we have a lot to talk about. So how are you guys doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. Feeling good. What about you, Ani? I'm doing good. My ball's like year came in. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, I'm rocking the shirt. You know, got it. Yeah, got the shorts on. Shirt on. Yeah. yeah. Let's. Let, what do you guys think about you know the balls life here? I know I've been pressing to get some out to you, Chelsea. Did you get some women's items? Yes, I did. I, I got a couple of t-shirts, some socks, uh, and a pair of shorts. Also, a very nice like white kind of leather pleather backpack that was really cool. Uh, cool. But I like it. I mean, the material seems pretty good. I only wore the a shirt one time, and the socks I really like. Um, but definitely good stuff. So I'm looking forward to, I need to do some workouts or something in it and, you know, test it out. But I just walked around in the shirt the other day and it was nice. Great, great. So yeah, you know, we obviously are always pressing our, our gear. Make sure you guys check that out at shop.ballislife.com. We appreciate all the support there. Uh, again, if you're listening to this in the paint show, 15% off your, uh, first order P A I N T one five. That's P A I N T one five. We appreciate the, any feedback. And, 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 you know, we appreciate you guys' support in general. Also wanted uh, to mention that, you know, we appreciate you guys logging onto our YouTube page, the Balls Life Network. Seems like more people are watching it there than just listening to their car, listening to their workout. So we really appreciate that. I know you guys are supporting us there as well. So we continue to try to grow that. But let's just jump right into it. We're going to probe the paint a bit on a bunch of topics. And then we're going to get into our main topic, which is basically the recent uh, 30 for 30 documentary. There was an one mixtape tour and all the things regarding the and one. And, and it's basically blowing up as a, as a company and blowing up as a tour yeah. around the skip tape. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the NBA. Um, wanted to talk to you guys about the finals. Obviously, uh, we, obviously the East came down at game seven. The West was, uh, Warriors came down and, you know, won it pretty easily, but, what did you guys think of the East Final Game Seven? You got it, Ani. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I thought early on, I thought Boston was going to run away with it. I thought we were going to see another blowout, <laughs> another playoff blowout, which has been the theme here. Uh, but you know, Miami came back. Uh, Jimmy was fantastic. I know people talk about that that final shot he took, but the reality is he was so tired. Like he didn't want to go into overtime. He wanted to take that shot if he made it. It, cool if you missed it, you missed it, but he had no inches going into overtime, and I think the rest of Miami did not care to go into overtime either. Uh, they were dead. Uh, but Boston, you know, they're deep. They're more healthy than Miami. <laughs> you could tell Jimmy's really hurt. I mean, I'm also hearing that he's actually more hurt than pe- 
you know, that he's actually putting on. Kyle Lowry was banged up. Tyler Hero. I mean, it just comes with it with the playoffs. But uh, Boston's just a better team. They're deeper and they're just more healthy. And I think that's just a, the thing when it comes to playoffs is we've seen the past couple of years is the, which team is more healthy <laughs> uh, coming down to, down to the stretch. So, Yeah, oh, Ani, I, I totally agree. I'm very happy that Boston won because I just don't want to watch Miami anymore. Jimmy Butler <laughs> has been incredible, but they don't have enough shooting and stuff. I need a team that can really challenge the Warriors, and I think Boston is that team. They have depth. They have length. They have rim protection. They have size. They have multiple people that can guard on the perimeter, which is what you need with, you know, Poole and, and um, Steph and, you know, those elite guards that they have over there. So I'm very happy that Boston um, didn't blow it because when Jimmy got that ball and started coming up the court, I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is insane if they make this comeback. But um, I'm happy that Boston is going to see the Warriors, and I think it's going to be a really good series um and exciting more exciting than what we've seen as you said there's just been so many blowouts like everybody's just dying for like competitive games through and through like hopefully it can go seven games and be you know a one or two possession game every one that's what people are looking forward to would you say that boston got lucky um playing milwaukee uh milwaukee without middleton than playing miami that's banged up uh, again like i said that you know it's the team that's the most healthy that wins but let's say you know, none of that transpires. Is, is Boston in the in the finals this year? I don't know. I think that's a good question. But I just feel like, you know, injuries and people being banged up is, is a part of the sport and how it goes. Like, you know, did the Warriors get lucky when my boy Bron had to play by himself because Kyrie <laughs> and Kevin Love weren't there? Like, you can put an asterisk pretty much by every single, you know, finals run, I guess, because there's always certain incidents, you know, that occur. But um, even then, like, I think Milwaukee, you know, still had a decent chance. Like, you know, they were the ones who, you know, he wasn't there from the beginning. So you guys should have already known he's not playing, like, you know, figure out how to win the series anyway. So, I mean, I guess you can say it a little bit of luck, but that's just what you need these days to, to make a finals run and to be good. And, um, you know, you have to have the luck on your side to stay healthy. And, you know, sometimes your opponent is missing a couple players or whatever. So that's kind of just how it goes. Yeah, I thought, um, as you mentioned, having a good series. Uh, I want to get you guys' predictions in a minute. But I just don't think the teams have the personnel to play a series as they are, shooting so much shot, outside shots and, and relying on the three. Besides Golden State, you're going to get cold. Boston went cold a little while. They get blown out. Then Miami goes cold. They get blown out. Sometimes it's home. Sometimes it's the road. I just think there's a little too much copycat, too much trying to keep up with the Warriors in general. And like you said there, Chelsea, I know you don't like really what Miami's trying to grind it out and, and trying to uh, fabricate and manipulate wins, but like that's they're not going to win trying to outshoot Golden State. No, so absolutely. I, I don't think Boston is either. So I, I just think part of the reason we had the blowouts is too much teams relying too much on that three. And then, like you said, Miami series came down to it. The only thing I would say is, again, we don't want to uh, – Jimmy Butler's a great player. He's a franchise player. He's like you have 16 seconds. So even if he makes it, you're still going to have to get a stop and you may have right. to come and make another shot again. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I, I don't I, I thought put the onus on the refs drive. He seemed to have space. You know, obviously he's going to drive strong and, and maybe get a foul. And then you'd start, you know, tie the game. Then you got to play defense again. I just thought there was too too much time. If there was four seconds left, three seconds and I. Yeah, you want to try to win it. Like you said, you probably don't want to play overtime. But that's my take. And based on that, what do you guys think is going to happen in the finals? Uh, um, 
Well, I can say what I want to happen, but I know what's going to happen. They're two different things. But I would love Boston to win in seven games because I, I just can't see them, you know, it winning earlier than that. But yeah. my heart is telling me it'll probably be like Warriors and six. If I had to give a true, honest prediction. Um, but, you know, I, I really like, you know, the Celtics coach. I think that they have the personnel, like whether it transpires or not, like they have the depth and the length and the the young legs and dynamic players. And that's what you need. Like, I think sometimes you're right, Ronnie, when you say these teams want to get into like shooting matches and stuff with Golden State. And, and that's not what it's about. Like, you just need to match Steph's energy. Match Jordan Poole's energy. It doesn't have to be threes. Like Tatum and and Jalen Brown can get 32, and it doesn't have to be on 10 three-point attempts. So that's what I really think that needs to happen. You know, they already have the defense there. Al Horford has been absolutely exceptional, um, just, you know, providing leadership and, you know, um, just whatever that team needs, he's been there. So I I do think that they have a great chance, but it's just – the margin of error when you're going against Golden State is just slim because even when you're up 10 or 20, like, it just doesn't matter, you know? So that's why I just feel like the Warriors had the edge, especially with home court advantage. No, I was uh, <clears throat> I was talking to somebody, and they made a really good point. And I agree with you, Chelsea. I think it's going to be Warriors in six. Um, the, the, the longer the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, the better Clay and Steph are. They haven't been playing. They've been sitting out. They've been hurt. You know, they're just really getting into a groove. And I think each series, they got better. You know, obviously, like, Memphis series was a little goofy, but they started making shots that, you know, they started getting back in their groove as a whole. And uh, in the conference finals, you just you just saw, like, the Golden State of old. And now they got some rest, uh, a lot of rest. Why uh, Boston and Miami just beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> and, and now you got Steph and Clay in the finals. But this is very familiar territory. Draymond, like, I just felt like the longer Golden State got into the playoffs, more of a groove that they got. Um, and, and I agree, like, I just think it's going to be Golden State in six. Be six or seven. I mean, Boston's going to win two at least. But yeah. Golden State in six. You know, they're, 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 they're moving like they're moving like a well machine. I know Boston has the, the personnel to defend them. I just don't know if Boston has enough offensive pieces you know, to win four games against uh, Golden State. Yeah, but I will say one key that I didn't mention that I think about is, you know, the Warriors are very, very turnover prone. And yeah. that's what that's how I'm saying I think Jalen Brown and Tatum and them have to get those points. They need to capitalize off of those steals and, you know, and kind of run it up. The problem is, as of late, Jason Tatum has been turning the ball over too. So if it's going to be a game of just everybody turning it over, then – uh, and Jalen Brown's handle's been shaky too. Like yeah. he's. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Like it's not good at all, though. You can't dribble multiple times. <laughs> yeah, and he's not the only good player that can't dribble. You know, but like, dribble off his foot. He got, yeah. I got ripped by like Victor Oladipo like three times in a row. Like yeah. that's so, something he needs to work on because he's a terrific athlete. And yeah, terrific he's incredible. Player. But you know, so yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be very. interesting. Hopefully, he can tighten his handle by the NBA Finals. No, heck no. That he's it's lucky that Clay's Clay's down a little bit, so maybe he could just sneak past them. But no, that handle it was crazy. The uh, speaking of handles, I wanted to mention because people joke about it on Twitter a lot and other social media about Jalen Brown. It's like Clyde Drexler really couldn't dribble. He would be looking down at the ground all the time. I'd be like, he just stays staring straight at the ground. <laughs> it's just funny. 
Hall of Famer. Dominique Wilkins. I love Dominique. He's one of my favorite players. You watch him dribble the open court, you're like, oh my God, what is he going to do? You know, and you just have this goofy bang shot. So, I mean, so there's other guys like Jalen Brown has hope. There's other guys that are really good that can't really. Yeah, but just direct line drive it, Ronnie. Stop trying to get tricky if you know you really can't do that. Like, yeah, yeah. So, speaking of handles, that's what we wanted to talk about today. And, and, and our main topic, we'll jump to that and we'll jump back to some of the other secondary things after we have on a couple guests. We're going to have on a guest for this documentary, the 30 for 30 of the and one. And speaking of handle, obviously. Uh, it came to fruition because of the skip tape, which came out like in 1999. It just blew up one of the most viral basketball parley moments ever in anything uh, regarding basketball. And obviously the doc came out recently. Uh, Ani, what did, what did you just make of it? Obviously it was an hour long doc. It, it interviewed a lot of people, but what was, what, what did you take away from that doc? Um, I was a little under, uh, underwhelmed by it. I mean, yeah. I just thought it was a little, it felt rushed. It, it just skipped. I mean, they have 60 minutes, so I get it. But I just felt like it didn't cover all the big, like, accomplishments or, you know, where are they now? What are they doing now? Uh, how was compensation? You know, you know, they touched on some things, but they didn't really get into a lot of the, you know, the meat and potatoes, you know, that uh, I, I, I would uh, wish they, t- they talked about. They talked about how it kind of started. Um, I thought that was cool, you know, talk, you know, about the mixtape and Ray for Austin some, but I just thought it just skipped. It just skipped a lot of uh, like major, like I think honest and on my honest opinion, if you watch and one mixtape one, two and three, you probably would get, you probably get a better feel mm. of the overall history of it more so than watching that doc. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So the, the doc I thought was, Interesting. It, it brings back, like, you know, Naglasia, memories of what happened. Um, it definitely was New York centric. And I have no problem with that. You know, like New York is the mecca of street ball. I don't think people are going to argue that. It's obviously changed over time. But you have a lot of people that were noticeable. And I'll just be transparent on this doc, on, on this, on this doc, on this. Uh, in the paint show, we wanted to get the professor on. Uh, who's a well-known street baller, probably the arguably the most well-known street baller, and mm-hmm. in, uh, he had a decline because he's not he wasn't involved, he wasn't interviewed, he wasn't involved at all, he wasn't mentioned. Um, they did mention uh, Hot Sauce. Obviously, he's one of the guys who came on after. Obviously, the original guys were like Half Man, Half Half Amazing, um, Ao, you know, Shane the Dribbling Machine. Those guys were all prominently mentioned. But then it brand, like you said, on it branched off into uh, culture, uh, music, how it became, and obviously they had to talk about getting the, the skip tape out there, which they did. And to their credit, it happened so fast; it went viral so fast. But it was so popular, yeah. it by the seat of their pants. Did you think that, Ani, that they covered that, like to let people know whether they're younger, maybe they didn't know that part of basketball, maybe they're just NBA fans that. What the hell happened? How did this get so big? How did this get into the stores? How did this get nationwide? I mean, how did people have that tape? And it's part of their collection now. Right. No, I thought I, that was the best part of it, uh, in my opinion, just like talking about that, the skip tapes and how that came about and how, you know, one kid's like, hey, I'm just going to film him, you know, hooping <laughs> at the park. And then like, you know, with uh, when uh, – his high school coach was saying, like, people were asking, you know, for highlights. I said, like, hey, I don't have, 
you know, much game film from high school, but I have uh, his, 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 his mixtapes. And um, and then talking about how, like, putting in the shoe store and how it blew up. And I think after, like, two weeks, they sold 200,000 copies. Uh, I thought that was a good, like, base to kind of talk about, you know, yeah. where it went from there. But, I, you know, that's something I didn't know about. And I thought a lot of young, like, young younger generation, they didn't know anything about that. A lot of them don't really know about Skip to My Loop. <laughs> so. You know, so, like, I hear the people obviously know Skip, and they're like, well, I Skip played for the Rockets in, the, in, in Orlando. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. I like the, the tape. And then other people who are more, maybe, I guess, quote unquote, traditional fans, they're like, oh, Skip was on that tape. Like, I just thought he was our point guard. You know, he's the, our Rockets <laughs> point guard with, with T Mac and Yao Ming. Like, they don't know about it. And then obviously, he went on to Orlando and played in the NBA finals. I, I was really happy for him when he made it to the finals because I, I knew he was an NBA point guard when I'd seen him. So mm -hmm. uh, like that, he had the skill to play that. And, and I went to the tour at Venice beach in Oh two and maybe Oh three, two times. And uh, it was really that big. It was exciting. It was free. They threw out gear. People enjoyed it. There were so many people that just enjoyed it. Maybe they had, you got to remember LeBron James hadn't entered the NBA yet. Honestly, you guys, if you remember that the NBA was kind of in a hangover for Michael Jordan, they had the mm -hmm. lockout. The Spurs won the title after that lockup. People were like, I don't want to see the Spurs. And the Lakers were winning, but like, you know, there was there wasn't that thing they 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 clung to. They kind of looked, you know, nobody knew Kobe and Shaq what was going to happen with them or that Kobe was going to be on the Lakers for the next 15 years after that. So people would look something forward, they wanted something forward to look to, you know, and, and they skip was their guy or skip mm -hmm. and the guys who followed. And then that's the other thing about the documentary. You you, you talk about the tour, on and it, it went on to about 06, 07. They did mention how it kind of waned and it maybe wasn't as popular. And and, and they kind of mentioned that it was harder to do tricks and harder to get the crowd excited because they seen so much. Seen they everything. Start, yeah, they had to start bouncing it off people's head, trying to take their shirts off. And then it got a little convoluted. <laughs> they did mention that. So the that was good. And there's so much they, they, they can mention. We want to talk a little bit with Ron Aclario, who's uh, Rafe Ralston's high school coach at Cardozo in Bayside, Queens. Ron's been the coach a lot longer than, than, than Skip got there. He's been the coach like for 40 years. Oh, wow. Many kids. Yeah, he's been there since 1981. So we want to get his perspective because obviously he was a big part of the doc. And, and like you said, on getting those tapes to and one and, and how that became about. You know, uh, they, they did mention, but it happened so fast. I know some people were running a little unhappy, like, yo, I'm in this tape. I, I think um, main event mentioned in the doc, Ani, like, uh, yo, I'm I, he's watching the tape in, in, a, in, a, in a shoe store. He's like, that's me. That's me. The guy <laughs> didn't like, believe at first. <laughs> I was like, that ain't you. He's like, oh, shit, that's you. Yeah, what's, what is that? Or what are you guys doing? So, you know, it, it, it happened so fast. So it's very interesting uh a topic like chelsea you know what did you you were obviously in junior high coming into high school and and when that was getting popular did you watch the show on on espn after in the later years or did you just kind of follow it a bit i mean i think everybody was pretty much following it when i was in high school like i graduated 2008 yeah. um it was a big deal for anybody that played you know that was when and one was pumping out the merch too so you had all the shirts that said like you know dunk on your mama like you know crazy yeah. little, 
crazy like slogans that they had, but it was a big deal. Like, you know, I used to always try to emulate, you know, the handle stuff that you would see, obviously to a certain extent, like, um, sure. you know, sick with it. Like you said, he's throwing the ball off of people's head and, you know, doing the robot, like this stuff that you obviously can't do on a court. But um, I think just, it was a big deal when I was in high school, like everybody pretty much knew about it. I don't really know if everybody knew so in depth about it. Like, you know, we just knew, Hey, and when mixtape is a thing, you know, here, you can watch it here, whatever. We're watching, you know, the episodes as they go. But um, sure. it was more just about the basketball for us. And I think that, um, you know, and one is also just a culture. But, you know, for me at the time, I'm not, you know, thinking, oh, this is New York and this is this. I'm thinking, oh, my God, the professor and sick with it and hot sauce can really dribble. And here I go trying to practice it. You know, like it was really sure. just that simple as a kid. But, um you know, definitely just remember the memories of just having the T-shirts and the gear and stuff um, and yeah. just kind of enjoying watching the episode when, when I would catch it on TV. Yeah. the um, Yeah. You know, for, for somebody like yourself, it must have been cool to see that progress to a TV show. And, and the doc did a good job of talking about how it started. But, yeah, there's definitely some things it didn't mention and it just went real fast. It didn't say mm -hmm. what happened. How did the tour die down? And, and obviously, as we know. Some of the guys on the tour either got disenfranchised or, or or disappointed or they want they did their own thing and then there was like a ball up tour. Things continued, yeah. but they didn't yeah. really mention that. And it continued with some of those guys. So obviously it seemed like the the OGs, the originals were on the, the dock, you know, Rafer, AO, the guys we mentioned, half man, half amazing. And then uh the younger guys were just left off. And and why they were left off, I don't know, but it was definitely something that uh, we definitely need to talk about more. We'll talk about it with our guest, uh, Ron, Ron Aclario, who's a uh, skip to my lose coach. Let, let's bring in uh, Coach Aclario now and, and, and get his take. Coach, are you there? I'm there. Can you hear me? See me? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. We can hear you. Yeah. We appreciate you taking the time to jump out. We have a lot to ask you, so hold on. Uh, we can see you. Uh, <laughs> glad you can jump on the In the Paint Show, Coach. How are you doing? I, I know you're busy, and... Uh, I thought you were going to be hanging out with Jada Kiss watching that doc, your boy Jada Kiss, you know. Our, our <laughs> oh, we so lost him. so let, let's let's see if we get him back up here. Uh, going to get me. You're going to get me back. You got me back. Okay. Unfortunately, I have half of New York City calling and texting because this Saturday yeah. I'm running a special event that why I'm doing it, I don't know. But the event yeah. is at Rucker Park. Mm. Okay. There are four schools playing. All four of those schools have been invited because one of their very own had been shot and killed. Wow. It'll be the first high school tournament oh, where wow. every school got invited because one of their own got shot and killed. Unfortunately, I've had two shot and killed in the last three years. And my point guard on the JV team, his father got shot and killed in the head a couple of weeks ago. Police officer Jason wow. Rivera was one of the two officers shot and killed in January. He's at wheels. So, unfortunately, every two seconds I'm getting a phone call. The mayor sure. called early this morning. He wants to come. What time should he be there? And so I got so much in that. But last night I did get a chance to watch it because the game I had up in Harlem, thank God the team forfeited the second game. And I actually got in my house. 759-59 New York time. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your initial. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We can hear you. 
We can hear you. Talk a little bit about your initial reaction to the doc. Do you just saw can you hear me? Yes, sir. We can hear you, coach. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, yes. yes we can hear you. I don't think he can hear us. He can't hear us. Maybe he's muted. Okay. Well, let, let, let's see if he could jump back on. Dang, he has a heavy, heavy, heavy New York accent, though. Very. Coach Ontario definitely has a heavy New York accent. Uh, I did know about some of his dealings with his player um, being, being shot, and he's very busy. I, like I said, he's been a coach there since 1981. He, Skip came as a freshman in about 1990, and he was very small, um, five eight, foot eight, but he could really handle the ball. And, and, and Coach Naclerio, uh really helped him in that. Let's see if we get Coach here. Can you hear us, Coach? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, All right, but I'm not going to touch anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so no. Don't touch anything, Coach. What was your initial reaction to the to the hour long doc last night? Uh, I think they tried to include too much in a short amount of time, which is mm -hmm. tough. And I think they should have hopped on a little more of the original N1 mixtape, how it came from Rucker. The other park was Lincoln Park near John F. Kennedy High School where Lamar Odom grew up two blocks away. Mm -hmm. uh, it also didn't talk about why Greg would not let N1 in the park. And what happened was, and one got the tapes from me. They yeah. signed Rafer, tried to market Rafer as an NBA player. And the tapes were out. And it was like, you got them from the Clario? Yes. Uh, did you get his permission? They made the tape without even asking us oh, if wow. they could make it. So now the tapes are out. I didn't want to do anything to hurt Rafer. Sure. Mm -hmm. But Greg Marius said, wait a second. McClario's handing you millions of dollars. If it's done right, you're not even going to sit down and talk. And Greg ended up suing and won. Oh, wow. So that's the whole story about the real part that people don't realize. And now you can understand when Greg said and one can't come into the park. You know, I, mm. I look at things like this. The pizza pie philosophy. If I have a pizza pie, there's eight slices. I'll give you a slice. I'll give you two slices. Sometimes I'll give you three or four. Maybe I'll even give you the whole pie. But now that you're getting the pizza pie and I don't have the pie, well, I would kind of think Expect that- Expect you to share. Yeah, give me a slice or two. Mm -hmm. So, sure. and, and that's the part that I don't like about basketball, the money part. You know, I've never done anything for money. You know, I'd like to coach and find out that, gee, I'm getting uh, a Steve Kerr salary or a Greg Popovich salary instead of getting, you know, chump change. So, but that's just the way it is. I love what I do. I'm, I'm a junkie. And, you know, there were parts of that tape that there was a game at OCP, O'Connell Park, where a lot of the N1 mixtapes guys were from, including Escalade, Troy Jackson. Mm. And we played there, and I actually played. I had a couple of highlights that I'm surprised they didn't use, and there was a highlight of me that I actually made my skip to my little move around the back between the legs, a dime <laughs> looking right to the guy <laughs> left. 
So, but, you know, I didn't even think they realized footage that's out there that wasn't used. And I think they went too much into the future. Basically, it should have been maybe an hour and a half, two hour documentary mm -hmm. if you really wanted to do it. And some of the people could have asked the originals a lot more questions, which mm -hmm. would have made them veer down certain roads. To sure. I thought the tape was really good. I thought it was like a 99. It could have been a, a hundred plus. Mm. Gotcha. Coach, um, can you just talk about a, a little bit about your relationship with Rafer or, or Skip? Uh, when did you guys first meet? Uh, you know, what was, you know, your kind of first thoughts about him? Could he always handle the ball like that? Or was well, that something I, that he just kind of picked up? I remember hearing about a kid at PS40 that's going to come to IS8 where I taught. Now, IS8 has an incredible legacy of having that ISA tournament and also the legacy of so many great players. There was one time 34 ISA graduates graduates were playing on varsity teams at high schools from one wow. junior high. That's incredible. Wow. And I heard about this young kid and during sixth grade going into seventh, being in South Jamaica, a kid comes over and taps me. Hey, coach, it was a little scrawny kid. Looked like a shorty. You know, <laughs> that's what was his original nickname was at Rucker Park, shorty, because he was. We put him in the game as a twelve-year-old when he must have been five foot one. Oh wow! So he says he's coming to ISA. Now Rafer knew not only the game as a player, but he knew the game as far as you know, NBA players and high schools mm. and who was good and all city players. So he knew who I was. And next thing you know, Bernie Goldberg, the vice principal of junior high school eight, had a team. I told Bernie about him. And first thing he did was he put Rafer in the one class because IS8 was a lower functioning academic school. Okay. He put Rafer in the high level class. So hopefully that when he went on to high he would be able to, you know, the work would not be as big a gap. Yeah. Interesting. So, wow. but then, you know, I saw how talented Rafa was. And, you know, I did, I've worked out many, many a basketball play. I was the original workout guy in the 80s and 90s. You see all these guys now, the Chris Brinkleys and, you know, all these other guys that make a lot of money doing this. And I would do it, and I would show Rafa drills that he would perfect in a second. Mm. And I would keep on adding and adding and adding. And it got to the point I had to really think of drills to do because Rafa mastered them at a quickness rate that I've worked out NBA guys that didn't pick up. They can't figure it out. Yeah, wow. not like that, not at that quickness rate. And then... You know, Rafa started coming to some Cardozo games because some of the kids he looked up to that were in ninth grade when he was in sixth grade were now at Cardozo. Guys like Gary Rush, Gregory James, Raheem Oates, who actually went to Cal State Bakersfield and won two Division Two championships in a row. Mm. Ty Boogie Davis from Bishop Lachlan. Now, why they ended up at Cal State Bakersfield was they had the same disease that had Rafa caught, you know, uh, academic-itis. <laughs> so they ended up 
going to junior college and did really well, but they couldn't transfer over to Division One schools. Mm. So it was only natural that Rafer wanted to come to Cardozo, but there a lot of the Catholic schools were, wanted Rafer to show up. And I remember the Catholic high school semifinals one year, Rafer was in seventh grade, and in, at halftime, Rafer was on the court maybe trying to be a ball boy or something, and he ended up playing this other kid one-on-one, -on -one, and next thing I hear the crowd, Rafer was doing all the skip to my loose stuff before he was, <laughs> and all the coaches were, who's this kid, who's this kid? And it was like, oh my God, I might actually not have Rafer come to Cardozo now because of... Now he froze. He froze on him. But yeah, I mean, obviously he... Okay, here we go. Yeah. So, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. You can hear me? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Good, good. I'm hear you. Hey, I got to give you a little love. That was that was the school's chancellor's office, and I had to hang up on himself. You know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why he's calling? He about the event Saturday. But, you know. Hey, what could I do? But uh, yeah, Rafa. One of the things I was worried about was Rafa wasn't that tall. He was mm -hmm. small. And I thought Rafa might only grow to be Shaheem Holloway's size. Five foot eight, mm -hmm. five foot nine. I never envisioned Rafa going to legitimately two and a quarter, which he did. That kind of alleviated my fears because I always thought Rafa would be a mm -hmm. Gotcha. Coach, wow. let's... Let's talk a little bit about his senior year. Obviously, he he coached to California for a little while. What were his options then? You mentioned, obviously, his academics had to get in order. What were his options as, as a senior year in 93, 94 at Cardozo? Was he thinking about going west, back to junior college? Was he going to go to a prep school? What was the what were you guys thinking then? You know, He only played a handful of games his senior year. What, what was his thought process, and what was your thought process to help him? Well, the problem that had a fight with Rafa and he said it on a couple of podcasts was he gravitated toward the streets and easy mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. okay. And that was ugly. I remember one or two times Rafa was allowed one phone call and he called either myself or Billy Medley or his mom, Geraldine, to get a hold of Mike Bell. Rafe, uh, Coach McClario, or Billy Medley to get him out of jail. And mm. as he got older and started fessing up, we realized that we were not only fighting science, social studies, and math homework assignments, we were fighting the streets where, you know, Rafer would make some money uh, doing things he shouldn't do. And then mm -hmm. Rafe all of a sudden, uh, started playing dice. Lilo. Mm -hmm. What the? So it was really hard. And when people say Rafa made the NBA or mixtape, or Rafa made the NBA or for Rucker Park, that is absolutely false. Because I would like to say Clark Kent and Superman. There's Rafa Austin. Rafa, who can run 
high school, college, and growth, like orchestra leader, and then to my Lou, who could have more tricks than the serial trick. <laughs> you know, will embarrass you and you know, I'll give you one story. Headache. Mm -hmm. Didn't get me. Headache knew he was gonna get a chance to go against Rafa at Baisley Park in a tournament. And for a week or two, every time I saw Headache, he was telling me what he was gonna do to Rafa. Rafa always showed up to games late. So if the game started at 8.30, it was no better until 8.31 the earliest. So the game starts at Baisley Park in anticipation of this place is packed like rucker pack. Mm -hmm. Headaches popping junk. Rafe is not there. He's scared. He's like, come on. So all of a sudden, a couple of minutes into the game, Rafe running into the park. Park goes crazy. My assistant coach, Coach Rafer, Billy Medley, JYO, throws him a uniform top, calls timeout, Rafer gets changed, they're on the court. Mm. The headaches down doing all this N1 mixtape type stuff. Rafer's playing basic, he gets it, comes down the court, you know, basic basketball. So headaches doing this hot dog move, blah, blah, blah. So after about four or five minutes of headache trying to Embarrass Rafer with a move. Rafer steals the ball, comes down the court, leaps up in the air, winds up with the ball in his right hand, throws the ball straight down as high as he can. The ball's bouncing. Rafer starts doing jumping jacks. And it seemed like the ball would not lose the height of its bounce. So finally, headache goes to reach for the ball. Rafer beats him to the ball, puts it around Headache's head, around <laughs> neck, flips it around his left ear to a cutting, I forgot his, the kid's name, for a Damon Jeter. And Damon hits the layup. The ref calls a foul, even though it wasn't a foul. The <laughs> crowd was... And next thing you know, the crowd threw aspirins at Headache. <laughs> That's funny. So what happened two minutes later? Because now the game, the game is on. There was a shooting near the hot dog stand. Mm. People ran for their lives, and that was the end of the game. Wow. Well, coach, let's keep moving on and talk to you about. Like you said he goes junior college. He, he gets it somewhat in order. He's keeping it together. He's at Ventura. So now he decides he's going to uh, apply to the NBA draft after his junior year. No, 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 no. no. He was at Ventura with Phil Matthews. They won the state what? championship. And Jerry Tarkanian oh. gets the job at Fresno. Correct. I don't incoming call. He's getting yeah, he got an incoming call. He's gonna keep getting incoming calls, but yeah, you know, obviously 
Rafer played the one year of Ventura. Then he went, sat out a season because he wanted to play for Tarkanian at Fresno State. And and he he uh, played the 96. Yep, coach. Back. Yes, Jackie sir. Harris. I think we lost him. So we'll, let, get, we'll, get him, we'll get him back. Yeah, let's just uh, see if we can get him back. If not, we'll keep moving on. But I, I know a lot of what he's talking about, and I wanted to keep it going. Let, let me see. Coach, can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah you know, phone Tell us a little bit about Tarkanian and then him going into the NBA. Obviously, he played at Fresno City. Well, what happens is Jerry Tarkanian gets the job at Fresno, calls me up because I had a relationship way back with him, sending him Lloyd Daniels, which sure. didn't turn out too good. No. Uh, but he did it. He did. He did right by Lloyd, though. Lloyd loved him, and you know, Lloyd had a tough family situation that Talk became like a surrogate father. So he calls me up saying, "Coach, I want to get Stephon Marbury." Sure. You're not getting Marbury. Mm. What do I got to do? Hire his brother? Well, you're not getting him. But I go, you can get the <laughs> next best brother. thing. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? So I tell him about Rafa. Yep. He flies in. I meet with him, uh, with Billy Medley and Mike Bell at the Marriott right next to LaGuardia Airport. And that night, Rafa plays at the Rucker. So I pick up talk. We go over the bridge. We're pulling up to the rucker. The place is packed. He couldn't believe it. He looks and he sees the polo ground houses. He goes, right. How many people live in, you think? I said about 10,000. He couldn't believe it. Mm, wow. So we pull in the back of the rucker to park. But there's a little softball field for the kids. And as we park, we're getting out of the car. There's this big black guy <clears throat> urinating. Urinating. The guy turns and does a double take when he sees talk. He goes, Coach. He comes running to talk. The guy urinating was Richie Adams. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm so low now. I don't know why. We can hear you. Okay. So, Rafa shows up late. Five minutes in, Rafa becomes skipped to my Lou. Makes a crazy move. Talk taps me on the shoulder. Oh, by the way, when Talk walked in, he got mad luck. Mad luck. Sure. He asked, what did he do? Because he, he never saw anything like this. So now the game is over. He goes to Billy and I. What do I got to do to get him? So Billy and I knew the headaches that Rafa so we goes, what do you mean, dude? You got him. Take him. Take him with you now. <laughs> and so the game plan was to go to Fresno City. Sure. And then he went to Fresno. Uh, they had that, you know, talent, you know, folks and Rafer and Chris Heron and all those guys. Larry Abney. I forgot the, the 6'10 kid. And so now sure. Rafer ends up getting arrested for a domestic, uh, domestic abuse problem with it, hitting a girl, or supposedly hitting a girl, and they're going to throw him out of Fresno. So we did everything we could to try to see what we can do 
And there was a 1% chance if Rayford did A, B, C, D, did this, did that, and go, uh, go in front of the school student body, there was only a 1% chance. Mm -hmm. That was not good. So Billy Medley, my assistant coach, says, Ron, you got to convince Rayford to put his name in the draft. I was skeptical. Oh, wow. So one thing leads to another. We run it by Rafer. Rafer, you know, like, okay, you know, we run it by his mother. We explain, you know, that if if we do go back to Fresno, there's only a 1% chance he's going to be allowed to play. Mm -hmm. The other yes. option was to transfer Division One because there was no portal then. Mm -hmm. Of course. So Rafer wasn't going D2. So Rafer says, okay, I'll put my name in the draft. So the deadline for the draft that year, I think was May 12th. It was a Saturday. So Rayford doesn't do anything that he's supposed to do that <laughs> Wednesday, that Thursday, that Friday. Billy calls me up. Says, Ron, you know what to do. What do you mean? He goes, you write the letter for Rayford. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I call Rayford. I say, Rayford, you didn't do it. I'd be like, so I write for, I'm going to write the letter signing your name. So I quickly write two letters to David Stern. I, whatever, Ray for Alston, uh, put my name in the clear draft, blah, 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 sign Ray for Alston. Why two? Well, one was from his, I, I, the envelope had Rafe's Fresno address and one had his mother's address. Mm -hmm. So now it had to be postmarked and all the, post offices were closed. Oh, wow. So if I stick it in a mailbox that the post office closes at 5 to 6 New York time, it'll be postmarked that Monday. No good. Mm -hmm. There's only one post office that stays open until midnight. The one across the street from Madison Square Garden. Well, it's about 11.15. I drive like a lunatic into the city, double park my car saying, you know what, if I get a ticket, I get a ticket. I'm waiting online, and at 11.58, I get the letter in, and I make the one to his mother, uh, return receipt. And I tell Billy what I did. I didn't even tell his mother. And then it was a little different because, you know, it wasn't like you blast it that quickly. We wait a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, in the newspaper, all of the early entrants in the draft, the list, and Rafer was one of the first because they did it alphabetized, Alston, and was like, whew. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rafer gets invited to the NBA pre-draft. I go out there with him. <clears throat> plays great. Plays himself into the first round. Mm. And I know all the NBA teams were coming over to me, asking me, you know, the background check. And I know San Antonio said, Ron, let's take you out to lunch. We want to talk about Rafa. And it ended up, I said, well, I know you're flying Rafa in for a workout. You ask these questions. We go, no, mm -hmm. coach, we know he's going he's, he's gonna to lie. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, they know. You know, he's going to tell us what we want to hear. We want to hear yeah. from you. So that's when I was honest and I told him everything because mm -hmm. I didn't want to. I think I helped Rafa by telling the truth.
Yeah. And the day of the draft, Rafer gets a phone call from Jerry West. They fly him from Fresno for a last-minute workout. And in the interview, Jerry West hits him with a couple of questions about him and his family's background, specifically his father. And I didn't think Rafer liked that because I think that's the reason why the Lakers did not take Rafer. Mm. They took Tyrone Lou over him. So wow. That's the story of that. <laughs> So, Coach, uh, now uh, Rafer's in the NBA. How did uh, Anwan get him? Uh, how was the process of Anwan getting involved? Uh, well, Anwan was looking to sign some guys to market, like Nike and, you know, and Adidas did. So, Rafer was the guy. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. how the whole, you know, they tried to use his mixtapes to, you know, market Rafer and hope that Rafer, as time would go on, would become a verifiable NBA player, which he did, and then an NBA star. And, you know, there was one year Rafa was with Toronto where Pete Vesey, uh, the legendary Pete Vesey, was actually saying Rafa should get some strong consideration to make the All-Star team. Mm. And, you know, that's the business part that uh, I don't know. I'm not that smart at. <laughs> you know, if I was, I'm sure if I had that, you know, Rafa's made his money being skipped to my little and I'm glad and uh, and I'm glad that I was in his life along with Mike Bell and Billy Medley to yeah. veer him straight when he certainly was making a strong left turn or a strong right turn mm -hmm. instead of going straight. Sure. Coach, let's mention um, the players on the tour a little bit, if you know that, and when Rafer was in the NBA. Um, did you notice any, you know, they, they, did they have any jealousy of him? Yeah, Where, there was some jealousy know, because long, you know, what was going on there that kind of created a little rift? Well, you know what it was? Rafa was the king. Mm -hmm. All of them were princes or queens. They were not, no matter what they did, they couldn't be Rafa. You know, some thought they were as good as Rafa. Some mm -hmm. might not have liked the fact wherever they went, it was like basically Rafa Alston and the other M1 mixtape guys. But Rafa, to his credit, when there was a beef, there was no problem. You know, he tried to share the pizza pie, share the wealth with them all. Because Rafa's biggest goal was to not become the greatest mixed one on tour tape. Mm -hmm. His goal was to become the verifiable, let me get myself a long-term multi-million NBA deal player. Coach, real quick, do you did you see any players, you know, just kind of being around the tour in the mixtape culture, like that you felt like, you know, you said everybody wanted to be Rafer and be in his shoes and maybe touch the league. They felt that they were better. Do you personally feel like there was any other players that maybe could have had an NBA stint or, you know? Adri Adrian Walton had a chance. Kareem Reed, who really wasn't on that, he, if he just could have stretched it out, you know, 15, 20-foot jumper, he had the heart. He was great. There was a big guy, Shane Drisden, Captain Nappy. Sure. I thought he could have played in like a shot-blocking type rebounding mm -hmm. role, like one of my former players 
who Rayful looked up to and visited when he was playing for the Sacramento Kings when Rayful was in Fresno, Dwayne Coswell, who was the 1990 first round pick of the Kings. So, you know, I, I if I'm sure there were others, mm-hmm. but you know, you don't realize it. It's you have to have the total package. Absolutely. You know, you have to have if you could just get to the rim at the rucker. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to get to the rim in the NBA. In an NBA court. Right. You know? sure. And you have 26 ridiculous moves that get oohs and ahs, but you have eight or nine sloppy turnovers. Yeah. You can't right. turn the ball over yeah. as a point guard. Doesn't translate. You know? And then a lot of these guys that were the N1 mixtape guards, they passed out of necessity, not cor- correct time. Mm-hmm. The, the Rafer knew when to give up the ball. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, when they traded for Rafer, told me he watched all 82 games of Rafer. And what he said to me was that Rafer always made the correct easy pass. Mm-hmm. He would yeah. put it where the big man wanted it without having to be moved. That was the big thing. Yao Ming, Yao Ming loved. Rafa always gave Yao Ming the ball without him having to lose balance or lose the the space that he earned on the block. And people don't realize that. You know? Yeah. He yeah. was great not only at the hot dog passes, he was great at the simple passes. Mm, I like that. So coach, did did N one do anything for you? Like, you know, just kind of as you at know, payback for the tape, skip yeah. tape. At the end, Greg sued him. Uh, I don't know what he got. He might have gotten five thousand or so. They ended up writing a check for for me for fifteen hundred. Which, when I got the check, there were three summer tournament entry fees. So right there, half of the check went to put a Cardozo in in summer league tournament. So, sure. What can you do? Because was there any other shoe companies that was uh, looking to uh, endorse a uh, uh, Rafer while he was in the league? I'm sure Rafer had opportunities to disassociate himself or if his contract ran up, mm-hmm. ran out to sign with them. But that's with Rafer. You'd have to ask Rafer that. And, you know, sure. you know. I mean, I just told Rafer, you're going to make life-changing money, so you better make life-changing decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't gamble. You know, you don't play CeeLo. You know, you don't do any stupid stuff that you blow the millions that you you worked hard to earn, you know? So, you know, as, as a surrogate coach becoming the father figure with all my players, mm-hmm. there comes a time you hope that all the lessons you taught them, you showed them, you brought them to, that you let them go like a pigeon flying and they mm-hmm. fly correct. Sure. Yeah. We appreciate that input. Coach, one question, we will let you go. We know you got to get ready and, and you got a lot of phone calls coming in. We, we, you know, with this pandemic, is is it made just think, things can already be difficult, as you mentioned with Rafer's background. Things can already be difficult for some of your players. It's just is it just that much harder? I know you guys didn't have a season and you obviously lost a few players and you have this tournament coming up because players have, have perished or been shot. You know, tell us a little bit about that and what what. 
what can be different or what's happening with this pandemic in New York and what, you're, well, what you guys got planned going forward? The pandemic destroyed so many people. Mm -hmm. uh, young kids not learning how to grow emotionally, learning to grow physically, uh, no interaction. Uh, too many New York City kids are getting obituaries before mm -hmm. getting high school diplomas. Mm -hmm. uh, too many New York City students have signed on with gangs than signed on getting academic or athletic scholarship. Uh, something has to change because New York City is taking a big, big hit. Uh, the school chancellor, David Banks, a friend of mine, he's trying to do what he can. Mayor Eric Adams, who went to the other high school in Bayside, Cardozo's in Bayside, he went to Bayside High School. He's got his hands full with, you know, the gun violence and the violence on the subways and the fear, and he's trying to change it. And he's finding out that some people are making it even harder for him to put in rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. But I think he's the guy. I hope he's the guy because I know he's going to go down fighting. Uh, it's like a V. And New York's getting really bad. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping now we're at the bottom, so now the V can start coming up. Well, I'm hoping it's still not sinking before mm -hmm. we hopefully V up. I'd like to think we're going to try to V and go up into a positive direction. Sure. We, 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 we as well, and we hope that, obviously we hope there's more positive stories and we hope Saturday goes well for your event. Tell people out there what this event is. Just give the, the particulars, the time and what location, and we'll let you go. Rucker Park, 155th Street, Frederick Douglass Boulevard. Uh, each one, teach one's going to play the Greg Marius All-Stars at 1230. Then it's mm. going to be Cardozo representing uh, Amir Griffin, who was shot and killed, and Yao Pabi's dad, who was shot and killed six weeks ago. We're going to play Julia Richmond, Lamar Gibson, who was shot, 2020. Uh, then at 3.30, we're going to have uh, James Monroe High School. Brandon Hendricks was shot and killed July 2020 at a barbecue. Mm. Wow. They're going to play Wheels High School. Officer Jason Rivera was shot and killed. I think January 26th of this year, he was one of the police officers shot and killed in Harlem. Uh, then we're going to have a special ceremony honoring the families. And hopefully, you know, the politicians and I know the NBA, uh, the guy Marvin Williams' father's flying up. He's ahead of the Marvin. He's ahead of the NBA players' dads. Uh, Royal Ivy, assistant coach of the Brooklyn Nets, will be there. Last minute people come. We're going to have the ceremony. Then we're going to have the two winners play. And I'd like to think Cardozo's going to win. And then uh, my biggest emotional substitution I'm probably going to make, the second there's a dead whistle, you know, the first blown whistle or stop, stop at your play where I'm going to sub in Yao Pabi, the 14-year-old freshman. He's going to enter to honor his dad mm. and his backcourt partner, will be Warnell Tootie Wells, the father of Amir Griffin, playing in honor of his son. So that will be a special, special moment uh, where the dad playing for the son and the son playing for the dad. And I think there'll be a couple of tears when that happens. Mm. 
Well, Coach, we appreciate it. We appreciate all you've done. We appreciate the candid insight about your program, about New York, and about Rafer. So we appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for Thanks, coming. Thanks, Coach. Thank, Thank you. Coach. I learned honesty is the best policy. So yeah. best of luck with the show, and God bless you. Thanks, Thanks Coach. Thank you. Take care. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Chelsea, I know you. that touches things like for you that touches your heart. And yeah, stuff. I mean, because it's it's – you know, an incredible cause and event that they're putting on. It just sucks that it's under those circumstances. Like we're all here because somebody was killed, you know, on every single team. Like, yeah, that's, you know, that's it, it's tough. Like, and these are kids too, though. That's what makes it sad to me. Like these are babies, yeah. kids that didn't even have a chance to, you know, experience so much things in their life and stuff like that. So it's really heartbreaking to me, you know, along with all the other stuff that's happening in the world and recently in Texas. And it's just like, when, like, when does it slow down if it's not going to end? Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about Texas at all. You know, obviously we're talking about the shooting that killed uh, 19 kids and I believe two adults. Uh, we're not going to get too much into it, but we did want to at least mention it. And, and obviously, you know, that, that's a, a story that Chelsea, you mentioned on a couple pods ago, like we're going to keep moving on and mm -hmm. it's going to happen again. And you were talking about Buffalo and you were right. You know, it happened again and, and we have to move on. But in the yeah, following we, day, in the following day in Richardson, uh, the, the ISD's got in lockdown because uh, a kid threatened to shoot up, uh, shoot up the school. Yeah. There's right. already been like 10, like since the Texas, you know, um, elementary school attack, there's already been like 10 other mass you know, shooting since then, like, it's, it's like nuts. I told you, I'm so like desensitized to stuff that's happening and it's terrible because it's heartbreaking, but it's like, you know, yeah. should I mourn this one? Because I mean, Tuesday of next week, it, it might be something else. Like, yeah, it's sick. Yeah. It's nuts. And you know, Nacario wears his heart on his sleeve. Even when he talks about Skip, oh, Skip is great. You know, he, he's joking half the time, but half the time he's telling the truth. And Right. It's very interesting. We talk about the skip tape in 1999 and one and becoming of age. He won the city championship that year. And like, like he was crying, like a, almost like a little boy, you know, like a little boy, very, very <laughs> emotional to his players. He, he loves them. And he's God, I mean, how many he's coached over the years. Like I said, he's been coaching there at Cardozo and Queens since, since 1981. So, you know, he gave us a lot more than I had expected. I wanted to talk a little bit about the background of skip and how it would relate to like him coming to California. We just, didn't have the time to get all into it yeah but i saw him he left cardozo and i guess like you know he was going through what he was going through and, and rodney parker who was like a street agent a well-known street agent who'd been around new york since the 70s he got skipped to california in riverside mm -hmm. north and i was like yes i've heard about this guy that's <laughs> coming to california this i'm like i can't wait to see him he's he played in some summer leagues and i said he's gonna be a really good player they might win the state championship and uh you know i i been involved in in covering like I wanted to know about all about these players I hadn't quite worked for for student sports and Cal High sports yet and I was like man you know this is good you know we're gonna get I always liked it when we get new players or guys transferred and it was and you you just heard it kind of by word of mouth mm -hmm. and then next thing you know like the preseason like lists come out in a hot 100 which we're still doing now on CalHighSports.com but like Rafer wasn't there when the season started I was like dang like well man that's jacked up and yeah. I didn't really know what happened. You know, you don't, you, you read a magazine here, you, you figure out, you know, what's going on. And I didn't really know he was back at Cardozo and, and they, he maybe played like six or seven games his senior year. 
And then he went back to California and I got to see him because my buddies were playing junior college ball. So that's what the doc kind of brought me back memories of is all the junior college ball mm-hmm. because in the early 90s into mid 90s, and I didn't really know it then. I thought it was just a natural progression. I was like, oh, yeah, most of these guys are going JUCO. Like, they're JUCO guys. They're really good. I go, they're D1. I know they're D1. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realize how much the academics was affecting these guys. And, and some of them were my good friends, and some of them are still my friends now. I, I just thought it was a normal progression. It's like, uh, uh, Ani, I don't know if you know, but California has a bunch of junior colleges. Yeah, 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 you have a lot. <laughs> a lot. The and there's good players sometimes. And there's been years where there's not good players. And, uh, you know, it was just like an academic uh wasteland in, in many regards they just weren't getting prepared and many of them did go on a d1 but not at the level that they maybe could have went if they would have mm-hmm. had their grades intact and i didn't really understand that at this i said oh so i was like yeah he's gonna go to la harbor and he's gonna go to uc riverside he's gonna go to fresno state mm-hmm. he's gonna go to san jose mm-hmm. state i thought that's where the level that was normal but it, it, now that i look back at it, it it was so disheartening because now that's not even like the the academic side of the guys go you know, do it later or they, they take a year of prep. There's all these more options. Right. And, and I just thought like uh, it was a big miss opportunity. Prop 48, you know, the guys had it. Basically you, you couldn't pass the 700 SAT. You went Juco or if they took you like a penny hard away, there was a few guys that schools took anyway, and they had to sit out that one first year and they only had three years of eligibility. So it's crazy how you look at it now and guys have five, six years of eligibility. With yeah. COVID. Back then, those guys had three years. I don't know if you had the, the two years of JUCO, you had to get your AA, and you only had two years. So, you know, mm-hmm. Raper was obviously talented enough. And that's the other thing. When I went out to watch the N1 Mixtape Tour, and I didn't want to, you know, I liked a bunch of the guys. We all have our favorites. I, I was always looking like, how good is he? And and right. I said, mm-hmm. Raper's the NBA guard. He had pretty good long arms, big, broad shoulders. He was working out a lot. I think we even have a photo of him, like, in his Fresno State uniform. He's pretty – pretty built well pretty built, you know mm-hmm. he's pretty ripped so he he uh he 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 did it right and obviously he had Naclero and other people on his side and in, in uh, on his team I'm not sure from basically some of the stuff Naclero said I'm not sure he would have made it without those three guys oh absolutely not right guiding him the right way and, and luckily the California junior college route was there to kind of get away from some of the madness that I imagine was in New York but one of the swift gears, we're going to have Matt Rodriguez, the president of Ball is Life, come on here in a few minutes. And he's going to talk more about, like, he's a little bit older than you, uh, Chelsea. So he's going to give his take mm-hmm. about what he kind of remembers from a fan perspective and and then talk about the business side and maybe what how it affected Ball is Life going forward. You know, he um, obviously started his company as the and one mixtape tour was kind of winding down like about mm-hmm. 06 or 07 and we just kind of want to get his his take and his insight from another aspect you know from from the fan and from the business side right so you know it, it it's been a it's it's just most likely taking me down memory lane I, I was so happy for skip i'm a big skip fan you know obviously i got to know naclary over the years but i was just so happy that he made it i mean did you guys have that thought like man, this guy made the NBA, or did you guys want to see the other guys make the NBA? Did you guys think they were not good enough? Like, what did you kind of know in that time frame, like, say, like, 05, 06, 07, as the tour was real popular and then kind of winding down? I always wondered, like, in middle – like, I was in middle school, kind of was going, uh, why they weren't in the NBA. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, like, the first time I watched and one mixtape, I was in the middle school camp. Like, my uh, the middle school I was in, they hosted a camp, and the coach – 
probably wanted to just have some time because he was tired of coaching us, you know, during the Campbell's all day deal. He just put it on. And I was like, oh, like, why are these guys not in the NBA? Like, uh, and then when I got older and it's funny, like when I was uh, when I was in college, the, there was like a yard, it was like a yard sale and like there was the M1 mixtapes. <laughs> so I went and bought it and then I went and watched it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this this this, this makes sense. Like. <laughs> like this, this makes sense. Like you know, they didn't show them like smoking, but you know they were smoking. Yeah. You know they weren't really working out. It was very uncut. Yeah, very uncut. <laughs> and at the end of one uh tape, they had they showed like a full game, and you just saw the turnovers mm-hmm. and all the sloppiness. And you're like, makes yeah. sense. Like it, yeah. it, it makes sense. But when you're just watching it, like watch me watch at like 13, 14 years old, like these dudes should be in the NBA. Like put them in the All Star game, yeah. and then. Yeah. 20, 21 years old. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I had the same thought, Ani, because you know, just being a fan of the the tapes and stuff too. I when you know when Skip made it, I was like, well, he's not even the best one. Like, well, at least to me, right. like I thought other guys were just better than him. But you know, now just being a player and growing up and like understanding the game, it's like, okay, yeah, like there's a lot of people who can play street ball and very few people who can play organized ball and do it well. And, you know, coach spoke to that. That that was just the difference. Like he had all the fancy stuff, but he had all the fundamental stuff, too. And that's kind of what separated him. So I remember thinking the same thing, Ani. Um, You know, I was a huge fan of the professor. I was a huge fan of um, stick with it and just, you know, those players, too. But, you know, Rafer was the real deal. And when he made it, I think it was pretty exciting because, you know, I was a fan of both. Kind of just watching the NBA and street ball as well. So And, and real quick, note before we get Matt on here. Sick with it played junior college at Shafee as well. Uh, AO played junior college in California. So a, uh, Sick with it actually played against Rafer in a playoff game, a regional mm-hmm. final. Oh. Shafee versus Ventura his freshman year. And I was like, these guys are so good, man. I, mm-hmm. I just thought at the time, like, junior college ball was really fast-paced, guard-oriented, mm-hmm. really good. Except they weren't shooting threes like they did now, but it was everything was to the rim, fast, shit-talking. It was just a great atmosphere. So let, let's bring on Matt now. And we, we'll talk to him a little bit and get his take. Matt, how's it going? It's going all right. Nice to Hi, meet Matt. you, Chelsea and Ani. How's it going? Uh, definitely yeah. a fan of what you guys are doing with Ronnie on here and in the paint. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate you uh, with the kind words. I know you're going to have some maybe some not-so-kind words when we talk about <laughs> what's going on with this doc and, and just in general. But, Matt, you obviously saw it. Uh, you know, what's your just highline take? Um, and I was texting you back and forth a little bit last night, but I really felt like it was more of a reminiscing about New York basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. When I was growing up in the early 2000s, you always looked at New York basketball as being like the Mecca of basketball, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's obviously changed in the last like 20 years. I, I think as far as like streetball goes and just like the pro-ams and all that all those types of things it's really shifted over into other areas around the country but obviously they learned from some of the leagues that were happening in new york city but they Mm -hmm. brought that to their own like geographical location so if you're talking about the seattle program with jamal crawford or the drew league in la and i think there's like another league in la i can't remember what it's called um sure but there's there's programs all over the country but those are the the more popular ones that people see because we we cover them quite a bit too Correct. Go ahead. Nice. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, Matt. Um, 
just talk about like we were talking about just the M one mixtapes. Uh, just talk about like when your first your experience when you first got to see them, and then like what what was your just overall thoughts when you first saw your uh, saw the M one mixtapes? Well, I didn't see a full mixtape. Um, a friend of mine, I don't know if you guys are like familiar with like the peer to peer downloading sites like LimeWire. Yes, yes. <laughs> I am Matt. I love LimeWire. <laughs> so that was like before YouTube. So a right. friend of mine told me about like a mixtape that he got with some shoes and growing up where I grew up, which is about like an hour and some North of San Francisco, we get everything like way after everybody else. Like mm -hmm. even games, when games would come out, we would get them like a week or two after everybody else would get them. Wow. But <clears throat> heard about the mixtape. Um, and I went on to Kazaa at the time. It was like looking for it and you couldn't get like the whole mixtape you can only get bits and pieces pieces of it and like the sections i would get were like three four minutes long and they heavily featured like this guy named hot sauce and some of the moves and stuff you were doing obviously they were like illegal you can't do it in like a regular game but you're just <laughs> like man that's like looking back on it that's very disruptive like you can't do that in a game <laughs> but he did it in the style and flair that he had with it like even just the way he put it through somebody's legs or when he did like the fake pass, the boomerang, they called it, um, or the way he would pick up the ball off the ground and like kind of cup it and dribble mm, it up. Yeah, like it. Mm. all that stuff was cool. And I was doing that stuff when I was a kid. Like I went and practiced it and, and tried to learn how to do it quite a bit. So that was like what really caught my eye more than anything else is those bits and pieces of volume three and four. <clears throat> so what Matt is, oh, I'm sorry, Yanni, go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> Uh, I was just going to say, so is that kind of what jump-started your interest or kind of piqued your interest in the mixtape? Just, you know, kind of getting those from your friend. And did you become a fan and a follower, like, shortly after that? Or oh, yeah. How did yeah, it go? I already loved basketball. I mean, growing up in the 90s, I mean, I know every era will probably say it, but I feel like I grew up in, like, a really good period of actual basketball. Yeah. Um, and I love the style the of basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the style of basketball then. So I already had this love for, for hoop. And then when this stuff came out, it was like, it was more, I guess I could do it versus I can't play in the NBA, mm -hmm. but the street ball type stuff, like I could identify with it and mm -hmm. do it. These are like, some of them were just normal guys that were out there, you know, weekend yeah. warriors mm -hmm. type, type style. <clears throat> sure. the, the rise in the, and once like, especially in the apparel market, uh, did that teach you anything like about, about like just doing a startup basketball company that teach you anything? Oh yeah. I think the biggest thing it taught me and and I always like pay respect and, and homage to people that came before me is the biggest thing that I taught myself and a, a couple of my friends is like the amateurism of it. Like growing up, you always thought like somebody needed one of these to film things like with, yeah. with TV. They just had a handheld camera like mm -hmm. that they were using and, and they made this this video. And that was what like more intrigued myself and my friends to be able to go out and shoot our own content. Um, and we would always hear stories about, you know, guys when they were in high school or the Hook Mitchells. And um, I, mean, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he was the the dunker that played with Kevin Garnett in the Chicago area. Ronnie, Ronnie Fields. Fields. Yeah, yeah Ronnie so you would hear Fields, stories about all these guys all the time. And for me growing up, like I wanted to tell those stories with video. I don't I want them to just, just be like these mythological, oh, you did a windmill on somebody for the game win, game winner, and it was an and one. And like, no, I wanted to go out there and like capture those moments. I don't want them just to be stories. Nice. So you would say basically the street ball kind of culture just influenced you, 
you know, I, I know you were filming like high school stars like DeMar DeRozan and stuff like that. And and I guess that's kind of just sparked your influence, just seeing other people doing it and watching and watching the mixtapes. Yeah, just because it, it was like something I could do. Like I can go pick up a camera and shoot that. I can go and create like a mixtape. Like I can I can go and do that. Like if I put my time and energy into it, did I think it was going to become what it is today? Like, no, I don't think anybody who has something blossom that big um, really can fathom something being that what it is like mm -hmm. I'm like 17 years later. Yeah. Um, but it's oh. it definitely had a huge impact on on starting it up and, and wanting to do more in the basketball space. <clears throat> I like that. Matt, talk a little bit about let's go back backtrack a little bit uh <laughs> rafer uh again all four of us are have a slightly different perspective maybe you and chelsea are kind of the, the similar age so you might have a, a, some similarities there as i'm looking at rafer i'm like yes i'm glad this chuko player this guy who didn't really wasn't always <laughs> eligible in high school made it to the nba i'm so happy for him and he's a street ball player where you're more like well that's the guy who went <laughs> on to the nba i like hot sauce and <laughs> professor mm -hmm. so you know talk a little <laughs> bit about that like do you feel that that uh represented as well as a fan and did you gravitate to the players who stuck around or did you already see kind of the business model like hey rafer's still kind of representing and one he's in the nba what did you think of that him not necessarily being on the tour anymore and then the other guys kind of even be more popular um well <laughs> i think there was like one line in there where uh, Niclerio said something like he's the most famous street ball player of all time. And I, last years. I politely yeah. disagree with that. Yeah. Um, like as, as a fan. And yeah. then also just, I think for you, you look at things under a different scope because you've been involved in the high school space for like so long. Like yeah. it's, you look at it differently than I would. Like when I was in 2000, early 2000s, I was just a fan. I wasn't looking at it mm -hmm. in the same yeah. respect that I would look at kids today. <clears throat> so for me, I liked Skip's game, yeah. but he was a guy that I couldn't really identify with because I could never be Skip. Mm -hmm. So, like, he made it to the NBA, and that was cool. Like, that was really cool for, like, if you're talking about the entertainment streetball side, like, at least you can throw some credibility for the game of basketball coming out of this product. But the guys that I personally were, like, a bigger fan of were guys like Hot Sauce and Professor – Matt, I just said this. Me yeah. and you are on the same page. I just said this. An air up there. Like, those are the guys that, like, I saw and I was just like, holy. Like, mm -hmm. just some of the stuff they were doing. Like, Professor added – Hot Sauce did all the illegal stuff. Professor <laughs> had, like, some legal moves with a lot of flair, but he could also play even though mm -hmm. he was tiny. Mm -hmm. So, even when they took him to some of these, like, different outdoor crash-to-court events, like, he could hoop. He could, he could like, stand his ground. Whereas there was one moment in there where they said that hot sauce showed up to a program. And by the end, by the end of the day, he was, they were calling him ketchup. Like of game being played by both of them, but both of them had like their, their reasoning why they were a part of the tour, why the mm -hmm. tour got so big um, was because of guys like them. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that Speaking of professor, uh, how, how are you, uh, how did you feel professor not being in that documentary? Man, like I feel like he was one of the biggest parts of that mm -hmm. entire existence of N one. Like, obviously, the first mixtape is like you never want to discount that, right? So that like helped you get onto the scene. But what helped you go to like the next step and the next step and the next step? So like 
if you look at the, I was talking to Ronnie about this on last night. If you look at the views on each mixtape on YouTube, it's like volume one has like 200,000 views. Volume three, when Hot Sauce was first introduced, has 2.2 million views. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge difference. And volume two has like 50,000 views. So it may have been hot <laughs> at the time, but what do people remember today, like 20 years later, like Absolutely. 25 years later? Um, so for, for me, I think that like Professor 100% should have been in there and he mm-hmm. should have been like a huge part of it. Um, I think if you're interviewing guys like Fat Joe and CC Sabathia, you can definitely interview. <laughs> like, what did CC Sabathia have to do with anything <laughs> on mixtape? I agree. Nothing whatsoever, right? Like, he's a yeah. pitcher that played a long time in Major League Baseball. He's very accomplished in that space, but he has yeah. nothing to do with the M1 mixtape tour. And I know this because I was like a, a diehard fan. Like, I have no clue why you would interview that guy. <laughs> yeah, he was the most random one that got interviewed. I was like, that really seems to the bath, yeah, in the M1 yeah. mixtape documentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you guys mentioned that. The guy that was random for me was Exhibit. It's like oh, yeah. <laughs> he was a part of the music, though. So he was a part of the music in, a, in like one or two of the video games, like the street ball games. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's well, why that's they, were, they were interviewing some of like the music artists, which yeah. I understand a bit. But, yeah. man, you can't leave out some of the big key players. You, you didn't even talk about Alimo. Like, are you kidding right. me? Like, yeah. Huge for the yeah. for the tour. I think I think, Matt, too, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, like, and, and let's be honest, like, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like. Professor was relatable too. He brought a diversity aspect and he was white. Yep. Like, so you have this culture where it's a lot of guys from New York, whatever, grew up in the hood. You know, black guys have these stories. And then you have the professor who's doing everything that they're doing. He, he brought a different aspect, a different flair. And I think it just made it more relatable to, you know, kids and people that are watching. And, and I don't recall, you know, another white player being on the tour. You know, I could be wrong, but he's 100% the most recognizable um you know regardless of race so i think that that was something that kind of elevated the brand at least at the time as well um you know just kind of having him be there so that was my opinion and he's hands down the most popular player of that whole entire product ever (laughs) like it doesn't matter if you want to talk if you want to go down the road of like who's the best player like yeah skip is the best player but when you're talking about popularity and what came out of everything like He's been involved with streetball for the last 20 years of his life and he's still at it. And he's like, still like extremely popular. Like, how do you not reach out to this guy? And I I saw like one of his tweets where he said, somebody reached out to him from the studio and they asked if he was from New York. And he's just like, what the hell? Like, do you guys even know what you're talking about? He reached out to us and asked me if I had any footage of Skip when he was like back in high school. And I'm like, what? Like, I was a, I was like a kid, like yeah. I hadn't even started yet. Like, what do you, are you doing any research on, on yeah, this, yeah. this project? <clears throat> yeah, it, it, that was pretty tough. Cause they, like I mentioned to you guys internally and I'll just share it on the pause. No problem. Like people reached out to me and they were like, it's just a total random fishing ex- exhibition. Mm-hmm. It's like, they, you nothing specific. Like, well, what exactly are you looking for? And, and, and like Ani, Ani said earlier, before you came on, Matt, it seemed kind of rushed. The ending seemed rushed. They didn't really mm-hmm. tell. Oh, yeah. What the guys are doing now, or like what did they go on to do? There obviously was more tour. Matt, talk about that just for a real quick second. They ended and then like ball up mm-hmm. was still going. Obviously, there were still street balls. So it's not like well, after after yeah. and one, the yeah. players like left. I mean, from a fan's perspective and kind of like paying attention to like what the internet was saying and everything. 
I think the players split off because like one player, we just, we won't name that player, even though we know who it is, but was making quite a bit of money, but he wasn't the basketball player, but he was the flair of the tour. So they all broke off except for him to go and create their own thing with ball for real. So ball for real happened. It didn't do that well. I went to like a couple of their stops in San Diego and LA when I moved down here. So that was like 06, 07. I think that tour lasted one year. Then it went away. Um, and then ball up happened, I want to say like 10 years ago. And that added like a whole new like entertainment style flair to it. Like the whole setup to everything was not, it was not street ball. To, to say it lightly, like even and one towards the end, they went away from playing outdoors. And that was like the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. even when they were talking in the, the, there was a moment in there where they were talking about like standing room only. Like imagine if the NBA had standing room only like street ball does. Like yeah. if you're going to the Dykeman and that's like the cool part about it. Like it's, it's not normal. Like it's when you look at the pictures of the Dykeman, everybody's standing around this circle and the court is an oval instead of a rectangle. Like that's that that's like the cool part about street ball. It's disruptive. It's different. It's not the same product as what you see in high school, college, and the NBA. Those are the cool things about it. And I just think I just think like you could have told more of that and shed more light on those types of things, uh, mm-hmm. much more. And I think there could have been a multi-part series with this. I think it they rushed a lot of things through way too quickly. <clears throat> yeah. I agree. Yeah. The rushing uh, definitely happened in, in, in this stuff. But I would say they tried to do the best because, like, it seemed like the whole thing got – was rushed, like making the skip tape and, and, and putting it out there. And they kind of alluded to that. So I thought they did a, a good job about that. Um, Why even make it? <laughs> are, are there any 30 for 30 docs that exceed an hour, though? Maybe they're trying to just stick to their structure of the, you know – a couple they should have done a two-part, two or three-part. They, yeah, they, have, they have multiple-part uh, series on them. They should have done that with this. That was yeah. such a big moment, like, in, in basketball like history in the last 20, 30 years. Like, it deserved more than an hour, in my opinion. Gotcha. And, and, and because of it was an hour, Matt, it, the doc made it seem like Anwin created a lot of firsts in basketball. Uh, you know, which one do you think that was most egregious that like the claim that they made that just me, you and others know it's not true. There's other people hitting me up. or like, why did they say that? You know, <laughs> like, I think one part that you and I texted about was like the whole mixtape thing. Like yeah. people have been making mixtapes for a long Forever. time before, mm-hmm. before that, that. And if you want to talk about the music side, that's like a whole nother piece. But even with video mixtapes, people have been making them for a while. Like you even said freaking DJ Ron Loke over here making his own mixtapes with his two VCRs. Like you did it too. They've been made for a really long time Mm -hmm. before that. I think, I think you can say they heavily popularized it with a disruptive type of basketball. There's one thing if you're doing organized basketball and there's another with like this game, this game is so much different. It has a lot more entertainment value to it, but I think there was another part on there where, so for us, like we've been making mixtapes for like 20 years There was one part on there where they were talking about how they threw music and edited it to like the the footage and like no you didn't you didn't edit anything to any footage you literally just threw highlights on the timeline and the timeline mm-hmm. is what you would put on the editing software and then you put the music on top of it and you didn't edit anything like there was no editing going on there so for me 
I'm very passionate about doing something in a more artistic and creative way with mixtapes. Right. So when you watch the mixtapes that we did, or you watch like Hoop Mixtape, or you watch Yeah Area's Finance, you'll see things hit the beat. And you'll see them like if it's like a really uh, dramatic part that has like a dramatic part to the song, you'll see things slow down and you'll see things like build up. And that's that's like the true art of making a mixtape, just like you would with music. Like you want to mm-hmm. like hook somebody to, to really watch something. So for me on that end, like, again, I pay respect to something that was made uh, before we existed. But I, I really feel like there wasn't as much thought as the the guys were trying to put into it like oh we came up with this grandiose idea of doing this and we put all this thought and effort into creating the mixtape like no you just threw music over like some really cool highlights correct and it Mm -hmm. popped for that time it definitely did it definitely did um obviously balls life's involved in street ball and growing the brand you know and it's participants as well, like White Iverson, Frank Needy, mm-hmm. those guys. What parallels, man, do you draw from and one and to what Ball's Life is doing now? You know, what what uh, what parallels do you draw? What did you learn? What what do you know not to do or what do you know what to do? Um, well, I read a piece that I think Dime did like six or seven years ago on the guys and like what they're up to and how sure. it all started. And they interviewed all the guys. I think that piece is more worth of a read than mm. some of the stuff that's going on there. If you want to like really see like what they thought about everything, but it really was just a group of guys that wanted to play basketball. And as you saw, like main event said on there, Wally Dixon, like, Hey, I just came from transferring from three different schools in college. And I just wanted to play basketball just cause that's my outlet. Like I want to play basketball. So if I could, if I got hoop, get free gear, get paid or whatever, like I'm going to do it. So a lot of that, those like initial things that they were doing on this article that I read were doing without trying to like imitate it. And and I think that's more of a, I guess the power of the love of basketball than it is anything else. So for us, we started doing playing outside more, um, I think at the beginning of last year, and we saw that people loved the content. So me being like a huge fan of streetball and growing up with it so much, I started trying to add different key pieces that I thought would be great for this like resurgence in playing outdoor basketball. So like the Frank Nitties, the Cesar Guerreros, the, the, the White Iversons, I think each one has their, their purpose in this, but our, the way we're trying to keep it going, which in their conclusion of the video, they, they said they got away from with the business side of things is I want to keep it basketball. I want to keep it real basketball and everything. And I really, I really take it to heart being in the basketball space. As long as I've been in the basketball space that like, I'm almost like a gatekeeper and like trying to help keep basketball basketball. Cause I care about it so much, if that makes sense. So there's like a lot of people in the streetball space that are doing it for the wrong reasons. And they're more like influencers and much of the stuff they're doing is like on the negative side of basketball and i don't care for that so when i saw that stuff going on early on last year that was when i was like i'm gonna bring real basketball outside i'm gonna do what i can to bring the frank nitties and the caesars and the allens and 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 even the guys on the east coast card with duke and and austin and and zach and all those guys i want to bring real basketball so that people don't think 
that these influencers are real basketball players because they're simply not. Like, I want, I want to protect basketball in that way. <clears throat> I, I really like that, Matt. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I just really like what you said about just keeping it basketball. You know, you just see, you know, so many people have a platform now or just access to social media where they can just kind of put out any type of content and, you know, people will run with it. So I just really like what you said and just kind of curious, what do you feel like is next? Like, what's next for streetball? What's the next biggest thing that you'd like the story to be told or, what you know what's kind of the direction that you see you know streetball heading at this point i think there's a lot of synergies with streetball and what we're doing and the the cast that we have of guys that if you're if you're a fan of shows on netflix like last chance you or even the cheer show that they did what what that shows again is like the same thing i saw when i was young is something that is focusing on talent that's there but it doesn't have to be the top tier talent so with last chance you you're focusing on junior college basketball and junior college football you're not you're not at alabama you're not at oklahoma state or oklahoma you're not at usc like you're at some random place in the middle of the country somewhere um or you're up up north at uh in and uh what is that what's that school that they did the last one on oh there's east la and then there's uh maybe hartnell college was it no uh, they did for some reason, I can't remember the name sure. of the school over there in Oakland that they did it on. Uh, Laney College. Yeah, they did it at Laney. So they yeah. did it at, at Laney as well. Um, and then with Cheer, they're in like a random area in Texas focusing yeah, on Trinity a really good Cheer squad. Like that's yeah. that's amazing. Like that's mm-hmm. so cool to me to see those types of stories being told on these individuals who are also putting a lot of time and effort into into their craft. Yeah. So for me, I see so many synergies in the rawness and the naturalness of like the love of sport that we have here with streetball. Like these guys love to play basketball and the people that are coming out, like it's kind of the some of the stories they have <laughs> with people pounding on the bleachers or some dudes back there just drinking like a 40. Like <laughs> there's just a bunch of random things going on at right. the park that wouldn't go on at like a, a regular NBA game mm-hmm. um, or a regular high school college game. So. I just think there's a lot there that is like untapped potential, but it needs to be done the right way. Like, and the right way goes back to what I was just referring to with the right people being in certain positions and having that platform. So when we go into these neighborhoods, we need to respect the neighborhoods that we're at too. Mm-hmm. So that's why we want to keep it basketball. Like I'm not, I understand if we do certain things, the videos can do better mm-hmm. and you'll get more views. Sure. But can I hold my head up? afterwards if, yeah. if i do something just to get views on a video no mm-hmm. i can't because like ronnie i've been a part of this basketball space here in southern california him longer than me but for like the last 17 years so if i do mm-hmm. something wrong or i allow something to go wrong in one of these neighborhoods like what did i why would i sacrifice that for the last 17 years of me being welcomed into all these neighborhoods mm-hmm. yeah. uh, i was uh talking to brad uh who, who works at Ball's Life, and uh, we talked about because you brought back like the showing like the outdoor uh, courts, mm-hmm. and I think he did some stuff out in Arlington. Yep. And I was talking, I was like, yeah, this is like <clears throat> this is basketball. I, you know, you got guys on the sideline drinking, smoking while you're hooping. <laughs> I mean, that's how it was like when I played. Like I love hooping outdoors. Like it was, you know, we had the rec center, but just hooping outdoors was. Just, such a different feel and like when you're when i was watching those videos i was like yo like this took me back you know just hooping outdoors and just a lot of hoop, these, like, just playing 
a lot of it's evening the playing field with certain people mm-hmm. too because you play indoors you can do hard cuts right like does outdoor you can't do that <laughs> like no we're all the same speed now <laughs> and you may be hooping on double rims you know <laughs> yep elements yeah the elements bring out a lot in players and and, and some rise to the occasion and some don't and the clario was kind of mentioning that and i think the documentary mentioned that as well like there's a certain element of the street ball game so matt they, they kind of mentioned the documentary uh do you just think the demise was them getting a, a, uh, away from the pure basketball and the kind of king gimmicky or do you think the business aspect something was eventually gonna not work out we're trying to keep you know 10 guys happy 15 guys happy what did you learn then and what do you know now like, i think everything good at some point comes to an end sure um and unfortunately that had to happen with that i think i think they heavily did get away from basketball and you know, if if basketball people aren't in control of something that's going to happen, like the the marketing people come in or the business side people come in and they want to do yeah. as much as they can. I believe at one point M1 was number two in basketball, only behind Nike. And that includes oh. Jordan um, with Nike. So they were ahead of Adidas and they were doing like over 300 million in sales a year. So when you have that, like you, <laughs> what can you do? You're, you're, you're kind of stuck in that position. Like if there's nothing you can do, they're going to take over and do whatever they, they want to do. But then at the same time, there was that, you know, the players wanting to be involved and taken care of a bit more. But mm-hmm. when you're, when you're a basketball player and an athlete too, you also have to understand like your career has a lifeline too. Mm-hmm. So if you want to extend your career beyond playing, you have to do what you can also on the side figure out how you can still be involved later down the line. And that's mm-hmm. something that I try to talk to and, and discuss with the guys that I'm working with as well. Cause I don't know if this is still going to be popping a year from now. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. no idea. Um, I can, I don't control those things. Um, so for, for them, it was more of like, you know, you're getting older, like when eight years of the tour go by Shane was already what, like in his, mid 30s by the time the tour started. so you got to find different ways of, of being involved with the tour and i know a lot of that like happened late which is why all that whole group left and tried to like create ball for real so when like the whole team leaves you're screwed like you lost your whole product yeah um so it's just it's tough it's tough to see as like a fan at the time but also i saw things going down when i would show up to open runs i didn't really like going to the games indoors i like the mm-hmm. open runs i would show up literally just for the open runs mm-hmm. and watch yeah. those and sometimes play in them but playing in the nba arena like that's not street ball right yeah. yeah setting up games so that you you win every game that's not street ball like when we play against people i don't care if we lose if you lose you earned it right mm-hmm. that's basketball it's life you're not going to yeah. win every single game <clears throat> gotcha well matt we appreciate your input and your honesty and and thank you for your time and uh we'll, we'll talk to you again soon hopefully about some topic that's good news and and that benefits us all of course and nice meeting you both again yeah thanks matt i appreciate you bye take care what do you guys reaction to what he said uh he obviously has input he's very you know he, he wants to keep, keep it, he don't want to go crazy in on doc but he did but i mean some of the other things he mentioned just about the business I, I mean, I think he's totally right. Like, you know, when you have people that are in certain spaces like Matt, like 
he knows what he knows. So you putting something out there, like maybe that will fool the average person, you know, maybe that it, it would be a good documentary to me because I don't have the background and, and know all the information that Matt knows. But I think when you do know so much and you know certain people that were affected and not included and story wasn't told, then, you know, it, it's not going to be good to you. So, you know, Matt was very, you know, politically correct in, in, in what he was saying, but, you know, it sounded like he was disappointed. And, and rightfully so, when you have somebody who's in that space, who's dedicated, you know, 17 years, whatever, however long he's been doing ball in life, just a platform that, you know, highlights players in the street ball culture, like to see a documentary that didn't really, you know, touch on everything that it needed to touch on, um, you know, that he, he was underwhelmed, like Ani, basically. Yeah, no, I was in complete agreement with him because I thought this documentary could, um, I don't want to say bring back street ball, but like if done right, you know, just brought kind of brought back that love, you know, for the purity of it, you know, like that yeah. outdoor playing and just and all that. And I just felt like it was a little rushed. <clears throat> like you said, how much and one and just street ball impacted our, you know, all our lives when we were growing up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just something like that. Like you said, a casual fan, it, it could be cool. But, like, for people like us that, you know, we remember when we first watched our first, you know, and one this video or anything like that. I, I just thought it was just underwhelming. But, uh, you know, but he talks about one thing I did love what he said is, uh, you know, he could do stuff for views. But, you know, at the end of the day, can he hold his head up high on that? So, y'all, he's always about just the purity of basketball, mm-hmm. you know. And I think ultimately that's just what all this is about, you know. Not the gimmick, gimmicky or novelty type stuff, just basketball at the end of the day. Yeah. Wanted to ask you guys, put you on the spot a little bit. You guys have obviously watched videos. Again, you, you've watched Balls Live, Hoop Mixtape, uh, Overtime, all the rest. Is you guys have – do you think uh, there's one in, in the era of high school players getting filmed like that is like the greatest mixtape of all time? You know, do uh, you have a top three? I guess what's your top two or three? Uh, for me, just my personal, uh, Trey Jefferson, uh, who went to play at Texas Southern about six, yeah. eight, my five, eight, five, nine, um, yeah. played two years. I, I, I loved when I saw his mixtape, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then he played at Texas Southern, so I went and watched him play one game. Uh, he was yeah. hooping over there. I think the first year averaged like 23 points per game. Yeah. Uh, a kill car, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the crime stopper. Like when they're, I mean, he was just fantastic every time his mixtape. Like you get the notification that his mixtape is up, automatic click. Like I, I, I love, I love to kill cars. So it was like a kill Trey. And now the third for me is like it's between uh, Aaron Gordon. I think his sophomore mixtape. Yeah, uh, it was a sophomore year. Uh, I think Yeah Area's finest put that out. And then yeah. uh, Marcus Levette Jr. who went and played at uh, St. John's. Ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Justin? I think for me. Two of my favorites, probably John Wall. He had a great mixtape. Um, I don't know if yes, yes, they yes. put that out, I don't yeah, know, but his was excellent. Brandon Jennings, wow. I thought he was like the best player ever after I watched his. <laughs> Between just the passing and the shot making and the craftiness and stuff like that, um, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, a guy that's my class, or a little, I think he's maybe a year behind me, Quincy Miller. He had a really Ooh, good Oh, yes. He was like, yeah, you thought he was freaking, and Quincy's actually a friend of mine, but he looked like he was like number one, two pick after his mixtape. Like, it was incredible. Yeah. Just the size and shooting ability, you know. Um, I, I really enjoyed, you know, I have people that are mostly around my age, but but I remember Akil Cars and 
um, you know, some of the guys that Andy mentioned. But I think for sure, for me, it's just going to be a tie between John Wall and Brandon Jennings for sure. Yeah, we we definitely uh, saw that come of age. And you can go to ballslife.com. We did a top 30. Uh, you just Google top 30 mixtape ballslife.com. I, I think most people in the industry and the people that film do think the John Wall tape by Who Mixtape mm-hmm. is the best yes. of all time. It kind of blew up the industry in a way. I guess, well, the And One Tour was kind of, you know, move, people were moving on from that where they were looking for the for the new thing in basketball. So th- that came, and, and uh, obviously ball, outdoor ball has been going on. It's going to continue to go on. I, I mean, they, I, the, the end of the doc made it sound like, well, what what's going to hit next in the culture? And it's like, well, it's, it's continuous. It's always going right. on. You can always play ball. You don't have to have this ball and the lightning with, with Rafer. I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. You know, it, it it doesn't seem like maybe there will be something. Maybe there will be a kid that just blows everybody's mind. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I think we're going to be here to, to see it happen. I wanted to give some reference to what we talked about as well. Um, and then, Ani, I have a question for you about uh, the circuit. But wanted to let you guys know the mixtape culture we also talked about in episode 38. So you can listen to the audio for that. That top 30 mixtapes players ever. We we broke that down on episode 72. Our guy, uh, Ron Aclario, talked about Sweet P, who, uh, you know, a lot of things I could talk about him, but that's a, for another day. But, you know, he was trying to go to UNLV. He dropped out of high school, and uh, he never got to play for UNLV. And that kind of was uh, one of the – kind of like one of the negatives and one kind of the beginning of the end for Coach Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV was – Sweet Pea's whole uh, ordeal and him not being able to to really, you know, be an academic student. So he he got in trouble. There's a documentary called The Legend of Sweet Pea. Came out in 2015. It's really good, really eye-opening. Uh, if you want to know more about Skip and, and kind of what he went through in, in his time in California, uh, there's a really good documentary. It's really raw and uncut. It was it was on Fox at the time at Between the Madness. Oh, yeah. uh, on YouTube, Between the Madness, 1992. Uh, did you watch that, Ani? What's your quick yes. take on it? I mean, you, know, you, you knew what this video, you knew what the, the film was going to be about, like within the first five minutes. When it talks about the guys like Terry Robertson and Ray for Austin being suspended, like before they can even scrimmage because Terry, because of a drug test, a failing drug test, uh, Ray for he uh, had a domestic issue. But it was just, it was, it was about like every three minutes, like failed drug test. They interview the guy. Oh, I don't really have a problem. <laughs> or I smoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, I forgot who said it. he said I smoke. The coaches probably smoke. <laughs> so like, what's <laughs> it a big deal? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they were going through a lot then at, at that time. And and obviously Jerry Tarkini again. We talk about him a lot mm-hmm. on these things. He was the coach, you know. And after he, you know, he would coach in the NBA. And many people think he did coach in the NBA to give. Uh, Sweet P. Daniels a chance to play in the NBA, which he did, which is amazing in itself, all that he'd been through and he'd been shot and, and, uh, you know, survived it. And he played in the NBA and that's a really telling thing, but yeah, those guys, I asked, um, Ray for many years later at the Fab 48 about his time at Fresno state. And he was very candid. Again, he's very candid, kind of like he is kind of with the N one tour guys. And he, I think he had some kind of rift there when he, he came out in a, either like a slam uh interview and he said you know those guys have to put in the work and i made it through the junior college ranks i made it through d1 and got drafted i went through a training camp like 
these guys think they're gonna gonna play in a or be good in an one tour and they're gonna make it like it ain't gonna mm-hmm. happen. And yeah. a lot of guys took exception to that. I think some of the guys like that were in that video and in that movie took exception. Like, why did he put us down? Like, yo, we're trying to make it like him. I, th- I think Coach McClary mm-hmm. kind of touched on it a little bit that he was the guy up there on that level. And he was candid about his Fresno State time. At, when I talked to him, he said, hey, those guys were not focused. They were not focused. They were mm-hmm. jerking around. Like you said, they got suspended. He got suspended. They, you know, oh, I got failed drug tests, failed weed tests, failed drug yeah. tests. Never put it together. Right. Uh, Tremaine Folks, who played on that team, he's a friend of mine. He, um, he kind of mentioned, he goes, hey, I, liked, I was hanging out with the homies. I got drafted. And I had to stop doing that. You know, I had to stop doing mm-hmm. that. And, and to get, he played with the Clippers and for Detroit for a little while. So if I was going to make it, I had to cut that stuff out. So he's going to get away. Matter of maturing, mm-hmm. and, and I think uh, Rafer just had the talent. I don't, you know, Rafer has his obviously an older guy now, but he's he still drives Nacario nuts, and Nacario will drive him nuts. So we, we appreciate those uh, Nacario coming on and, and telling us some of that that candid moment. So yeah, check out those things uh, for more information. We want to move on. I wanted to mention the things we mentioned in episode one thirty one. Our guy Ian Jackson. I want to uh, give a shout out him. I I I didn't know the information correctly. Um, Ian, there were 17 new tryouts, and those he's involved in those June 18th through 25th in Colorado Springs. And then if he makes the team, he's gonna play in the FIBA 17 new World Cup in Spain. So, so Chelsea, you put me on the spot. I do think he will make that team. I thought he was part of the there was the 18 and under team that he was gonna, oh, okay, try. yeah, that's what I thought, and that he was gonna be playing down. So uh, I think he will make that 17 and under team. He was obviously very good on the 16 and under team. Now, the 18 and under team already had their trials, as on as you know, in, in, in straight Jesuit in Houston. Yeah, I was and, there for that. Yeah. Oh, so did you go to that? So the, the team has already been announced, and they're going to play in the FIBA America 18U Championships, and that's the one in 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 Mexico and TJ. So I, I oh, got okay. So, yeah, you know, our guy Ian is not part of that. Uh, Ani, why don't you tell us about the roster and then what you saw? Yeah, um, I, let me pull up the roster real quick because I think they just announced the finalists. Um, yeah, the, the, the roster is there. Um, if you want me to talk about it and then uh, you, you can mention like what you saw. Did you go to the, the a couple of various of the of the workouts and tryouts? Uh, yeah, I was there right before it was the day before when they were announcing the 17. Uh, right. And uh, mm-hmm. like guys like Derek Queen, uh, that was my first time actually seeing Derek Queen since he lost all the weight. Um, like he lost 40 pounds in the past year and he was really wow. good. I mean, just skilled, moving better, um, sh- just showing a lot of like the shooting, the inside out play. I thought he was very impressive. I, you know, I think he made the actual the uh, the top, you know, the, the top 13. Uh, Anthony Black was good. Uh, six, seven point guard athletic really can make plays for others cam whitmore uh, another kid that's been was really good khalil Ware, you know we talked about him with the mcdonald's game i mean just when he's locked in he's really good uh going to oregon um jared mccain who's going to duke you know i think jared just one of the most like consistent players he's one of the most consistent players i kind of saw just you know you know what you're getting mm-hmm. um Gigi Jackson, Brandon Garrison uh, from Oklahoma. He kind of surprised me a little bit just with the consistency of play at that level. Uh, I think he's a top 50 kid, but, you know, really played hard. I saw some things with him as far as skill-wise that I wasn't seeing in the last summer or really even saw it a couple months ago. But, uh, you know, he made the finals group. I didn't think that he would have made it, 
Uh, but uh, yeah, Brandon Garrison was one of those surprises. Like, oh, like him and Derek Queen really uh, surprised me just with how productive they were. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought was, you know the guys competed uh, for for the most part in the drills. You know, they're a little, <laughs> you know, they ready for the games. And you know, one thing to note is like these kids. They've been to so many camps. They've been to so many, you know. So the drill part, you know, you want them to compete more, but this is probably their hundred camp, <laughs> you know. So yeah. they they know they know the routine. They know what really probably is going to matter as far as them making or missing it. So, but yeah, overall, I thought it was a. I think that was a Friday. It was a Saturday, I believe. Saturday, I went. Yeah. So gotcha. it was when it was the day they announced the seventeen. Yeah. So they they've cut it down. Let me. Just go over the guys who you didn't mention who who made the team. Mark Armstrong from mm-hmm. New Jersey, St. Peter's, Villanova. Kanan Carlisle, I believe he's the kid out of Georgia. Correct. Uh, Devon Castle, Eric Daly Jr., Cam Whitmore. And then you mentioned the rest of the guys, except for uh, Ty Rogers. So those, right. those who are I love, the I love guys you, you, you mentioned. Uh, obviously, they're in different classes. Some of them are already going to college. Jared McCain is 223. And our guy Derek Queen is 224, which is very interesting because mm-hmm. Ian Jackson is with the lower group as a 224, and, and Derek obviously makes the cutoff and made the team. That that did does that surprise you uh, as a 224 that he made the team, Monty? Uh, yeah, did it, it, it did. But when I saw him play and I saw him shed the weight, um, it didn't. Like, I knew he was skilled. I didn't realize how skilled he was because obviously at Montverde he didn't play a whole lot. You know. A whole lot. But just seeing how skilled he was, like, I mean, some of the stuff he like the turnarounds, the face ups and the jabs, left and right finishes for a kid of six nine, like you did I didn't see that offensive repertoire when he was heavier. Mm-hmm. But now you get to see it. Like, you know, he went at like the Khalil Wares and you know, other guys that are projected to be lottery picks <laughs> and first round guy for the twenty three draft. But it, it surprised me, but when I saw him shed weight, you got I got to see the whole skill set. Gotcha. And as we close out, I wanted to mention, like you said, uh, make sure you check out all our content at BallsLife.com. The reason we did episode 131 with the, the player rankings is the player profiles, which we really didn't mention that much, kind of touched on it. So make sure you could check those out under the profiles tab on BallsLife.com. You can go back and check out all the years, um, some of the names we mentioned in this week's stock. And obviously their ranking by the hoop scoop or, or Bob Gibbons is there. Even if you, you talk about before the modern recruiting 2007, 2008, when ESPN and 247 and, and rivals came to be, we, we have those old ones uh, archived. You can go check those out. Wanted to give people just our schedule. We kind of, we did this on a Wednesday. As you listen to this, you might listen to it toward the end of the week. Um, you know, obviously uh, we're going to recap the Pangos camp on June the 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pangos camp is going to go on uh, the 5th through the 7th. And then uh, we're going to, Take a little bit of time off as we're going to prepare for our third annual draft show. That will be on June 23rd. We're going to try to recap Section 7 and some of the live scholastic period earlier in that week. But we'll definitely be on before the NBA draft, 2022 NBA draft on 623, mm-hmm. June 23rd. So we're not going to have our normal schedule. We're going to try to get back on our normal schedule. But we have a few things we have to take care of. And obviously, the draft is going to impact that. Um, let's talk about the draft real quick, and then we'll jump off. Um, anything, uh, Chelsea, that surprised you about the draft and the order? Orlando won it. Uh, they get the number one pick. OKC's two, Houston three, Sacramento's four. And then, Ani, you talk about after that uh, some of the guys who stayed and who's 
decided to stay in school and some of the guys who declared? Um, no, no real shockers to me. Um, you know, I got to see the lottery a little bit. Uh, you know, I looked at Damian Lillard in Portland and just all that, get rid of everybody and we're going to build around Dame and they didn't even get a top pick. So that was the main thing. I just looked at his face like, oh, here we go again. But, you know, otherwise, um, I think the number one pick, like we kind of talked about previously, can kind of go either way. Um, with Orlando, I honestly think it's probably going to be Paolo. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went with uh, Jabari either. Um, so those are my two predictions. I don't see Chet going number one um, at all. So I just don't really think, you know, Orlando is probably the best fit for him. Um, but I'm interested to see what Orlando does. Like, I, I really think they need, you know, bigger positions and size because they're very guard heavy. You know, Markel Fultz is going to come back and sure. Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. Like, they have a lot of guards, but um, there's still some pieces away from being even competitive. I think, did they finish, like, last or, like, second yeah. to last? Close. Um, so hopefully they can get a piece that can help them because I really think um, – you're kind of seeing a trend in the NBA with just the younger up and coming teams building around young pieces doing well. You know, it took some time, but you know, look at the Cavaliers, you know, yeah. they have a lot of a, a young core that, you know, is kind of up and coming. And, and I think that's the trend. So just to see, to make the pieces fit. So nothing really surprised me. Um, like I said, those are my top picks. I think it could go either way between the two of them. And I'm excited to see kind of the direction of some of these other teams, you know, OKC has a million picks in the next like <laughs> three drafts. Yeah. Um, but it's time for them to make a jump because, you know, you got rid of your pieces and you've been young and now we got to build around SGA and, you know, make it work. So um, I'm excited to see what happens um, on draft day. Yeah, we had a, a couple guys, you know, make announcements that they're staying or going. I think one of the main ones was Harrison Ingram uh, oh, yeah. that's going that's going back to Stanford. Um, yeah. Kind of saw that coming. It was interesting because when I was talking to a summer coach, Von Zell, and uh, just kind of getting some intel. I mean, there was a wide range of, you know, at one point it was late first round, early second, or maybe top yeah. 20 or late second, maybe undrafted. But I think him coming back uh, really, uh, you know, gives Stanford a chance to compete in the Pac-12. I thought that was one of the major uh, additions is back. It's, it's, it's him um, going back to school. Sure. Uh, Dalen Terry announced that he's he's going to stay in a draft, which uh, Ronnie, you you probably kind of figured he was uh, he was too. I know there's yeah. been some first round talks with him, maybe some early second. Um, but Dalen Terry, what a six six like guard, you know, brings a lot yeah. of energy, brings versatility in the backcourt. Um, so him staying in the draft that uh, that was a pretty big deal. And uh, Leonard Miller, who hasn't uh, who from Canada. Uh, he entered his name in the draft. You know, he said, you know, I know the college route was like Kentucky and another school, but he decided he's just going to stay in the pro route. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's either going to be, you know, staying, keeping his name in the draft. Uh, G League is what I'm hearing uh, that he's probably going to do. Um, so, you know, you got Leonard Miller. That was kind of a big deal because it was like, if he stays in the draft, does he have a first round promise? Because in the 2023 draft, they list him as a potential lottery pick. Um so, you know, that that was one of the main, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to go stay in the draft, go G League, go to college, maybe go to Kentucky? You know, that was one of those things. Uh, but him, Harrison Ingram, Dale and Terry, I would say were one of the uh, bigger, you know, announcements, you know, yeah. for who's staying and going in. And impacts, you know, just college basketball. I mean, Mike Miles announced earlier that he was coming back. But, like, that was a situation where I, I think when he announced he was declaring – 
that I didn't think TCU was recruiting like he wasn't coming back. Uh, So him coming back, you know, I think uh, there was a list of uh, top 45 uh, college programs, like a preseason, they had TCU 10. And a big part was him, you know, Mike Miles coming back. So a couple of guys making their announcement really impacts just the college basketball landscape and also impacts, you know, just, you know, positive, negatively as some teams and just like, them announcing that they're staying, you know, now you ask the question like what were there is there a promise that was made and where was that promise at what at what uh range? Gotcha. Yeah, we're gonna break that down more in the in the next few pods. Like I said, make sure to stick with us for the next pod. It would be on June the eighth, and then our show will be on June twenty-third. Once again, we want to thank Matt Rodriguez. We want to thank Coach Ron Claire as we get out of here. Wanted also throw a shout out to the guys on the and one tour that didn't really get mentioned in that doc, which would be Spider, which would be Escalade, who's now passed, uh, Flash, who's now passed, obviously uh, Sick With It, and The Professor. So shout out to those guys. And anybody I missed, I didn't do it on purpose. So we appreciate you guys listening. But for now, me and Ani and Chelsea are going to get out of here, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>